out of breath in the race of life And I won't look you in the eyes So I seem dandy, I seem fine Suffocating here inside Breathe in, breathe out For God, that sound I breathe in, breathe out I give oxygen a try Breathe the air where God resides And I don't trust you like I'd like at these rocky mountain heights Breathe in, breathe out For God, that sound Breathe in, breathe out Breathe in, breathe out So we're live now. Oh, okay. hey. We're yeah, live. I wasn't expecting, I don't know why. It's been so long since we've recorded that I just forgot how to use my, uh, the recording app on my computer. <laughs> Sorry. No. It's like it's... a personal attack right now. No, it's definitely not. You've been busy. You've been adulting successfully. Yeah. I mean, what's up, everybody? Yes. Hi, everyone. I forgot we were actually setting out to people, too. Yeah. Other people may listen to this. Yeah. Apparently, my dad's going to start. Anyway, so. Oh, he has Hey, it. dad. Um, this is Grandma Tell Me a Scary Story. It sure is. The podcast. I'm Jeff. And I'm Rachel. And we're here to actually going to tell, tell you, you a scary story. Tell you a scary story. That's um, crazy. I don't yeah. Think we've ever actually done that. Yeah, no, we've talked about stuff, but we've never actually just done the whole title of our, our podcast. Eh, why would we do that? Yeah. So, this is a, a Victorian ghost story. Well, not, it's a Victorian ghost story. Um, called The Dead Smile by F. Marion Crawford. And just a quick disclaimer that uh, the real horror in these things is Victorian values towards anybody that wasn't white. Or a man. Or a man, yeah. So, just put that fun little disclaimer out here. Oh, okay, that's fine. I mean, we didn't need to, but... I didn't pick this story. I haven't even read the story yet, so... Yeah, so this is going to be new for her and for you guys, not me. I read it. Good. All right, so I guess we should dive right in. All right, first, how, how long is this story? So it's... <laughs> I didn't look. So the PDF that I've got it saved to is 17 pages. Okay, cool. We're good. Yeah. All right. You okay. can start. All right. I'll let you start. Okay. Um, okay. All right. The Dead Smile by F. Marion Crawford. Part one. Other oh, parts, okay. Yeah. Sir Hugh Ockram smiled as he sat by the open window of his study in the late August afternoon. A curiously yellow cloud obscured the low sun, and the clear summer light turned lurid, as if it had been suddenly poisoned and polluted by the foul vapors of a plague. Sir Hugh's face seemed, at best, to be made of fine parchment, drawn skin tight over a wooden mask 
which two sunken eyes peered from far within. The eyes peered from under wrinkled lids, alive and watchful, like toads in their holes, side by side and exactly alike. But as the light changed, a little yellow glare flashed in each. He smiled, stretching pale lips across discolored teeth in an expression of profound satisfaction, blended with the most unforgiving hatred and contempt for the human doll. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I'm not sure it's funny, but it is. Nurse McDonald, or MacDonald, who was a hundred years old, so that when Sir Hugh smiled, he saw the faces of two women in hell. Two dead women he had betrayed. The smile widened. Wow. Alrighty then. The hideous disease of which Sir Hugh was dying had touched his brain. His son stood beside him, tall, white, and delicate as an angel in a primitive picture. And though there was deep distress in his violet eyes as he looked at his father's face, he felt the shadow of that sickening smile stealing across his own lips, parting and drawing them against his will. It was like a bad dream, for he had tried not to smile and smiled the more. Beside him, strangely like him in her wan angelic beauty, with the same shadowy golden hair, the same sad violet eyes, the same luminously pale face, Evelyn Warburton rested one hand upon his arm as she looked into her uncle's eyes. She could not turn her own away, and she too knew that knew that, that deathly smile was hovering on her own red lips, drawing them tightly across her little teeth, while two bright tears ran down her cheeks to her mouth and dropped from the upper to the lower lip. The smile was like the shadow of death and the seal of damnation upon her pure young face. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Try and take it seriously. Yeah, please. Of course, said Sir Hugh very slowly, still looking out at the trees. If you have made up your mind to be married, I cannot hinder you. I don't suppose you attach the smallest importance to my consent. Father! exclaimed Gabriel reproachfully. No, I do not deceive myself, continued the old man, smiling terribly. You will marry when I am dead, though there is a very good reason why you had better not. Why you had better not? He repeated very emphatically, and he slowly turned his toad eyes upon the lovers. What reason? asked Evelyn in a frightened voice. Never mind the reason, my dear. You will marry just as if it did not exist. There was a long pause. Two gone, he said, his voice lowering strangely. And two more will be four altogether, forever and ever, burning, burning, burning bright. Well, I'm sorry that I'm trying to do a good storytelling. That's <laughs> funny. Also, they're cousins. That's her uncle, and that's his son. Yes, apparently they're cousins. <laughs> they are cousins. I'm sorry. That's kind of what got my attention. This is Victorian era. I told you. I Disclaimer. Know, but maybe that's why they can't get married, because they're cousins. And he has a modern viewpoint on the world. Maybe, but I doubt it. Okay, never mind. At the last words, his head sank slowly back, and a little glare of his toad eyes disappeared under the swollen lids. So Hugh had fallen asleep, as he often did in his illness, even while speaking. Gabriel Ockram drew Evelyn away, and from the study they went out into the dim hall, softly closing the door behind them. 
each audibly drew a breath, as though some sudden danger had been passed. As they laid their hands in each other's, in each other's, their strangely like eyes met in a long look in which love and perfect understanding were darkened by the secret terror of an unknown thing. Their pale faces reflected each other's fear. It's his secret, said Evelyn at last. He will never tell us what it is. If he dies with it, answered Gabriel, let it be on his own head. On his own head, echoed the dim hall. It was a strange echo. Some were frightened by it, for they said that if there was a real echo, it should repeat everything and not give back a phrase here and there. Now speaking, now silent. Nurse MacDonald said that the great hall would never echo a prayer when an Ockram was to die, though it would give back curses ten for one. On his head it repeated quite softly, and Evelyn started to look around. It's only the echo, said Gabriel, leading her away. They went out into the late afternoon light and sat upon a stone seat behind the chapel, which had been built across the end of the east wing. It was very still, not a breath stirred, and there was no sound near them. Only far off in the park, a songbird was whistling the high prelude to the evening chorus. It is very lonely here, said Evelyn, taking Gabriel's hand nervous, nervous, nervously. Nervously. He <laughs> <laughs> liked his new word. And nervously. And speaking as if she dreaded to disturb the silence. If it were dark, I should be afraid. Of what? Of me? Gabriel's sad eyes turned to her. Oh no, never of you, but of the old Akrams. They say they are just under our feet here, in the north vault outside the chapel, all in their shrouds, with no coffins, as they used to bury them. As they always will, as they will bury my father and me. They say an Akram will not lie in a coffin. Hmm. But it cannot be true. Those are fair these are fairy tales, ghost stories. Evan nestled, Evelyn nestled nearer to her companion, grasping his hand more tightly as the sun began to go down. Of course. But there is the old story there is the story of old Sir Vernon who was beheaded for treason under James II. The family brought his body back from the scaffold in an iron coffin with heavy locks and put it in the north vault. But ever afterwards, when the vault was opened to bury another of the family, they found the coffin wide open, the body standing upright against the wall, and the head rolled away in a corner, smiling at it. As Uncle Hugh smiles, Evelyn shivered. Yes, I suppose so, answered Gabriel thoughtfully. Of course, I never saw it, and the vault has not been opened for thirty years. None of us have died since then. That's good. <laughs> yes. And if, if Uncle Hugh dies, shall you? Evelyn stopped. Her beautiful thin face was quite white. Yes, I shall see him laid there too, with his secret, whatever it is. Gabriel sighed and pressed the little girl's hand. Girl's little hand. Girl's little hand. Yeah. <laughs> you just made the story way different. I mean, they're already cousins. <laughs> you know, but that makes it different. It's girl's little hand, not little girl's hand. Yeah, yeah. I messed up. Not that the description is much better, but like, <laughs> I'm just saying. I understand. I do not like to think of it, she said unsteadily. Oh, Gabriel, what can the secret be? He said we had better not marry. Not that he forbade it. But he said it so strangely, and he smiled. Ugh! Her small white teeth chattered with fear, and she looked over her shoulder while drawing still closer to Gabriel. And somehow, I felt it on my own face. So did I, Gabriel. Answering answered 
Gabriel answering in a low, nervous voice, changing that, whatever. Nurse MacDonald, he stopped abruptly. What? What did she... I don't know if I missed something there in that cut, but I don't... Anyway. Oh, nothing. She has told me things. They would frighten you, dear. Come. It is growing chilly. He rose, but Evelyn held his hand in both of hers, still sitting and looking up into his face. But we shall be married just the same, Gabriel. Say that we will. Of course, darling. Of course. Well, my father is so very ill, it is impossible. Oh, Gabriel. Oh, Gabriel. <laughs> dear, I wish we were married now, Evelyn cried in sudden distress. I know that something will prevent it and keep us apart. Nothing shall. Nothing? Nothing human, said Gabriel as he drew him down to her. As their faces, that were so strangely alike, met and touched, Gabriel knew that the kiss had a marvelous savor of evil. Evelyn's lips were like the cool breath of a sweet and mortal fear that neither of them understood, for they were innocent and young. Yet she drew him to her by her lightest touch, as a sensitive plant shivers, waves its thin leaves, and bends and closes softly upon what it wants. He let himself be drawn to her willingly, as he as he would even if her touch had been deadly and poisonous, for he strangely loved that half-voluptuous breath of fear, and he passionately desired the nameless evil something that lurked in her maiden lips. As if we have loved in a strange dream, she said. I fear the waking, he murmured. We shall not wake, dear. When the dream is over, it will have already turned to death, so softly that we shall not know it. But until then, she paused her eyes seeking his, and their faces slowly came near. It was, each, it was as if each had thoughts in their lips that foresaw and foreknew the other. Until then, she said again, very low, her mouth near to his. Dream. Till then, he murmured. Hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. So they're cousins. Yes. Okay. That's all I need to know. Okay. All right. Do you want to read part two or do you want me to keep going? I don't care. I can read, I guess. Okay. Nurse MacDonald slept, sitting all bent together in a great old leather armchair with wings. Many warm blankets wrapped around about her, even in summer. She would rest her feet in a bag footstool lined with sheepskin while beside her. On a wooden table, there was a little lamp that burned at night and an old silver cup in which there was always something to drink. There's so many commas in here. Oh my gosh. I think that's just one long... Nope, there's two in this paragraph. <laughs> there's just a lot of freaking commas. No, I know. I'm just okay. trying to be like, is this just a run-on? No, it's a, almost. Well, it probably um, is, but... It is, but it's fine. Her <laughs> face was very wrinkled, but her wrinkles were so small and fine and close together that they made shadows instead of lines. Two thin locks of hair that were turning from white to a smoky yellow fell over her temples from under her starched white cap. Every now and then she would wake from her slumber, her eyelids drawn up in tiny folds like the, like little pink silk curtains, and her queer blue eyes would look straight ahead through doors and walls and worlds to a far place beyond. Then she'd sleep again with her hands one upon the other on the edge of the blanket, her thumbs grown longer than the fingers with age. What does that mean? Well, her thumb's growing longer than the fingers. Okay, whatever. So, yeah, I guess her thumb's growing. What, her thumb just kept growing? Yes. Okay, that's weird. Um, yes. It was nearly one o'clock in the night, and the summer breeze was blowing the ivy branch against the, of the, win- the panes of the window. 
With a hushing caress, in the small room beyond, with the door ajar, the young maid who took care of Nurse MacDonald was fast asleep. All was very quiet, the old woman breathed regularly, and her drawn lips trembled each time the breath went out. But outside the closed window there was a face. Violet eyes were looking steadily at the ancient sleeper. Strange, as there were eighty feet from the sill of the window to the foot of the tower, it was like the face of Evelyn Warburton, yet the cheeks were thinner than Evelyn's and as white as a gleam. The eyes stared and the lips were red with life. They were dead lips painted with new blood. So is she a vampire? Just, <laughs> maybe, possibly. <laughs> with purple eyes. Slowly, Nurse McDonald's wrinkled eyelids folded back and she looked straight at the face at the window. Is it time, she asked in her little old faraway voice. While she looked at she while she looked the face at the window changed. The eyes opened wider and wider till the white glared all around the bright violet and the bloody lips opened over gleaming teeth. The shadowy golden hair surrounding the face rose and streamed against the window in the night breeze and the and an answer to Nurse MacDonald's question came a sound that froze the living flesh. It was a low moaning voice one that rose suddenly, like the scream of a storm. Then it went from a moan to a wail, from a wail to a howl, and from a howl to the shriek of the tortured dead. He who has heard it before knows, and he can bear witness that the cry of the banshee is an evil cry to hear alone in the deep night. That's fun. It's a banshee! Yeah, I got that now. <laughs> We've already talked about those. We have. Repeat. So many callbacks. I know. When it was over and the face was gone, Nurse MacDonald shook a little in her great chair. She looked at the black square of the window, but there was nothing more there, nothing but the night and the whispering ivy branch. She turned her head to the door that was ajar, and there stood the young maid in her white gown, her teeth chattering with fright. It is time, child, said Nurse MacDonald. I must go to him, for it is the end. She rose slowly leaning her withered hands upon the arms of the chair as the girl brought her a woolen gown, a great mantle, and her crutch stick. But very often the girl looked at the window and was unjointed with fear, and often Nurse MacDonald shook her head and said words which the maid could not understand. It was like the face of Miss Evelyn, said the girl, trembling. But the ancient woman looked up sharply and angrily. Her queer blue eyes glared. She held herself up by the arm of the great chair with her left hand and lifted up her crutch stick to strike the maid with all her might. But she did not. That's nice of her. That was nice of her. <laughs> I'm going to hit you with this stick. I'm going to hit you. Well, maybe not. Maybe I won't. I need you still. Yeah. You are a good girl, she said, but you are a fool. Pray for wit, child. Pray for wit. Or else find service in the house other than Ockram Hall. I'll bring the lamp and help me up. Each step Nurse MacDonald took was a labor in itself, and as she moved, the maid's slippers clapped alongside. By the clacking noise, the other servants knew that she was coming very long before they saw her. No one was... I just imagine the coconuts and money python as she walks this... (laughs) Little horse feet. Maybe she's not human either. Maybe not. She's a satyr. Oh, no, no, Probably. <laughs> I thought those were on mail, but I could be wrong. Who knows? I don't know. We haven't covered them yet. Not yet. Okay. 
No one was sleeping now, and there were lights and whisperings and pale faces in the corridors near Sir Hugh's bedroom. Often someone would go in, and someone would come out, but everyone made way for Nurse MacDonald, who had nursed Sir Hugh's father more than 80 years ago. She's old. She's old, yeah. Maybe she is a singer. The light was soft and clear in the room. Gabriel Ockram stood by his father's bedside, and there knelt Evelyn Warburton, her hair lying in like a golden shadow down her shoulder, and her hands clasped nervously together. Opposite Gabriel, a nurse was trying to make Sir Hugh drink, but he would not. His lips parted, but his teeth were set. He was very, very thin now, and as his eyes caught the light sideways, they were as yellow coals. Do not torment him, said Nurse MacDonald to the woman who held the cup. Let me speak to him, for his hour has come. Let her speak to him, said Gabriel in a dull voice. The ancient nurse leaned to the pillow and laid the feather weight of her withered hand that was like a grown moth upon Sir Hugh's yellow fingers. I don't know why that sentence was so hard to say. Probably the... The, <laughs> the Then she spoke to him earnestly, while only Gabriel and Evelyn were left in the room to hear. Hugh Ockram, she said, this is the end of your life, and as I saw you born, and saw your father born before you, I come to see you die, Hugh Ockram. Will you tell me the truth? I see. The dying man recognized the little faraway voice he had known all his life, and he very slowly turned his yellow face to Nurse MacDonald, but he said nothing. Then she spoke again. Hugh Ockram, will you never see the daylight again? You will never see the daylight again. Will you never see the daylight again? <laughs> will you tell me the truth? Will you tell the truth? Oh man, I messed that one up bad. His toad-like eyes were not yet dull. They fastened themselves on her face. What do you want of me, he asked, each word sounding more hollow than the last. I have no secrets. I have lived a good life. Nurse MacDonald laughed, a tiny cracked laugh that made her old head bob and tremble a little, as if her neck were on a steel spring. But Sir Hugh's eyes grew red and his pale lips began to twist. Let me die in peace, he said slowly. But Nurse MacDonald shook her head and her brown moth-like hand, I thought her hand was no, yellow, um, was like I go, wasn't it? Anyway, okay, whatever. And her brown, moth-like hand left his and fluttered to his forehead. By the mother that bore you and died of grief for the sins you did, tell me the truth. Sir Hugh's lip hurt. Blah, blah, blah. Sir Hugh's lips tightened on his discolored teeth. Not on earth, he answered slowly. By the wife who bore your son and died heartbroken, tell me the truth. Neither to you in life nor to her in eternal death. His lips writhed as if the words were coals between them, and a great drop of sweat rolled across the parchment of his forehead. Gabriel Ockram bit his hand as he waited, watched his father die, but Nurse MacDonald spoke a third time. By the woman whom you betrayed, and who waits for you by for you this night, Hugh Ockram, tell me the truth. It is too late. Let me die in peace. His writhing lips began to smile across his yellow teeth, and his toad-like eyes glowed like evil jewels in his head. There is time, said the ancient woman. Tell me the name of Evelyn Warburton's father. Then I will let you die in peace. I know what it is. You got it now? I got it. <laughs> Sorry. Evelyn st started. She stared at Nurse MacDonald, 
and then at her uncle. The name of Evelyn's father, he repeated slowly, while the awful smile spread upon his dying face. The light was growing strangely dim in the great room. As Evelyn looked on, Nurse MacDonald's crooked shadow on the wall grew gigantic. Sir Hugh's breath was becoming thick, rattling in his throat, as death crept in like a snake and choked it back. Evelyn prayed aloud, high and clear. Then something rapped at the window, and she felt her hair rise upon her head. She looked around in spite of herself, and when she saw her own white face looking in at the window, her own eyes staring at her through the glass, white and fearful, her own hair streaming against the pane, and her own lips dashed with blood, she rose slowly from the floor and stood rigid for one moment before she screamed once and fell straight back into Gabriel's arms. She has a flair for the dramatics. She does. But the shriek that answered hers was the fear shriek of a tormented corpse out of which the soul cannot pass for shame of deadly sins. Sir Hugh Ockram sat upright in his deathbed and saw and cried aloud. Evelyn. His harsh voice broke and rattled in his chest as he sank down, but still Nurse MacDonald tortured him, for there was a little life left in him still. You have seen the mother as she waits for you, Hugh Ockram. Who was this girl, Evelyn's father? What was his name? For the last time, the dreadful smile came upon the twisted lips, very slowly, very surely now. The toad eyes glared red, and the parchment face glowed a little in the light, in the flickering light. For the last time, words came, they know it in hell. That's nice. That's ominous. <laughs> then the glowing eyes went out quickly. The yellow face turned wax and pale, and a great shiver ran through the thin body as Hugh Ockham died. For real this time? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> For now. For now. Possibly. But in death, he still smiled for he knew his secret and kept it still. He would take it with him to the other side to lie with him forever in the north vault of the chapel where the Ockrams lie uncoffined in their shrouds, all but one. Though he was dead, he smiled, for he had kept his treasure of evil truth to the end. There was none left to tell the name he had spoken, but there was all the evil he had not undone left to bear for Jeez. He's kind of a dick. Uh, yeah. As they watched, Nurse MacDonald and Gabriel, who held the still unconscious Evelyn in his arms, while he looked at the father, Interesting. they felt the dead smile crawling along their own lips. Then they shivered a little as they both looked at Evelyn as she lay with her head on Gabriel's shoulder. For though she was very beautiful, the same sickening smile was twisting her young mouth too, and it was like the foreshadowing of a great evil that they could not understand. By and by, they carried Evelyn out, and when she opened her eyes, the smile was gone. From far away in the great house, the sound of weeping and crooning came up the stairs and echoed along the dismal corridors as the women who, as the women had begun to mourn the dead master in the Irish fashion. The hall had echoes of its own all, all that night, like the far-off wail of the banshee among forest trees. When the time was come, they took Sir Hugh in his winding sh- sheet. Winding sheet. Okay, not straight. Sorry. No. <laughs> they took Sir Hugh in his winding sheet on a trestle bier and bore him to the chapel, though the iron door and the down 
and down the long... Oh my gosh, okay. Through the iron door... Let me try again. Reading's hard. <laughs> it definitely is. Okay, let's start over. This is still one sentence. When the time was come, they took Sir Hugh in his winding sheet on a trestle bier and bore him to the chapel, through the iron door, and down the long descent to the north vault, lit with tapers, to lay him by his father. Whew. That was a long sentence. Yes. The two men went in first to prepare the place, and came back staggering like drunken men, their faces white. But Gabriel Ockram was not afraid, for he knew. When he went in, alone, he saw the body of Sir Vernon Ockram leaning upright against the stone wall. Its head lay on the ground nearby with the face turned up. The dried leather lips smiled horribly at the dried-up corpse, while the iron coffin, lined with black velvet, stood open on the floor. Gabriel took the body in his hands, for it was very light, being quite dried by the air of the vault, and those who peeped in the door saw him lay it in the coffin again. They heard it rustle a little. As it touched the sides of the and the bottom, <laughs> like a bundle of reeds, he also placed the head upon the shoulders and shut down the lid, which fell to the fell to with the snap of its rusty spring. After that, they laid Sir Hugh beside his father on the trestle bier on which they had brought him, and they went back to the chapel. But when they looked into the, one another's faces, master and men, they were all smiling with the dead smile of the corpse they had left in the vault. They could not bear to look at one another again until it had faded away. Alright, so we're going to take a quick little break here to get a word from our sponsors. Woo! Yep. Hey, sponsors. Yeah. How fun. How much more spray do we have? Is that like halfway? Yeah, we're at like the halfway point. Cool. say sponsors really have the one right now anyway all right Gabriel oh I was gonna say do you want me to no you read okay you want me to take <laughs> I don't want to read I don't want to be in class anymore <laughs> Gabriel Ockram became Sir Gabriel inheriting the, the Baron at XC with the half-ruined fortune left by his father and Evelyn Warburton continued to live at Ockram Hall in the south room that had been her, hers ever Ever since she could well, I don't know whether there's a period there, but it's ever since she could remember. She could not go away, for there were no relatives to whom she could have gone. And besides, there seemed to be no reason why she should not stay. The world would never trouble itself to care what the Ockrams did on their Irish estates. It was long since the Ockrams had asked anything of the world. So, Sir Gabriel took his father's place at the dark old table in the dining room, and Evelyn sat opposite to him until such a time as their mourning should be over, and they might be married at last. Meanwhile, their lives went on as before, since Sir Hugh had been a hopeless invalid during the last year of his life, and they had seen him but once a day for a little while, spending most of their time together in a strangely perfect companionship. Though the late summer saddened into autumn, and autumn darkened into winter, and storm followed storm, and rain poured on rain through the short days and the long nights, Ockram Hall seemed less gloomy since Sir Hugh had been laid in the north vault beside his father. 
At Christmas tide, Evelyn decked the great hall with holly and green boughs. Huge fires blazed on every hearth. The tenants were all bid to come to a New Year's dinner at which they ate and drank well, while Sir Gabriel sat at the head of the table. Evelyn came in with the port wine. Evelyn came in when the port wine was brought, and the most respected of the tenants made a speech to her health. When the speech maker said it had been a long time since there had been a Lady Oakram, Sir Gabriel shaded his eyes with his hand and looked down at the table. A faint color came into Evelyn's transparent cheeks, and, said the gray-haired farmer, it was longer still since there had been a Lady Ockram so fair as the next was to be, and he drank to the health of Evelyn Warburton. Then the tenants all stood up and shouted for her. Sir Gabriel stood likewise beside Evelyn, but when the men gave the last and loudest cheer of all, there was a voice not theirs above them all, higher, fiercer, louder, an unhealthy scream shrieking for the bride of Ockram Hall. It was so loud that the holly and the green boughs over the great chimney shook and waved as if a cool breeze were blowing over them. The men turned very pale. Many of them set down their glasses, but others let them fall upon the floor, looking into one another's faces. They saw what they were all they saw that they were all smiling strangely, a dead smile, like dead Sir Hughes. The fear of death was suddenly upon them all, so that they fled in a a panic, falling over one another like wild beasts in the burning forest when the thick smoke runs along before the flame. Tables were overturned, drinking glasses and bottles were broken in heaps, and dark red wine crawled like blood upon the polished floor. Sir Gabriel and Evelyn were left standing alone at the head of the table before the wreck of their feast, not daring to turn to look at one another, for each knew that the other smiled. But Gabriel's right arm held her and his left hand clasped her tight as they stared before them. But for the shadows of her hair, one might not have one might not have told their faces apart. They listened long, but the cry came not again, and eventually the dead smile faded from their lips as each remembered that Sir Hugh Ockram lay in the north vault smiling in his winding in his winding sheet in the dark, because he had died with his secret. So ended the tenants' New Year dinner. But from that time on, Sir Gabriel grew more and more silent, and his face grew paler and thinner than before. Often without warning, without words, he would rise from his seat as if something moved him against his will. He would go out into the rain or the sunshine to the north side of the chapel, sit on the stone bench and stare at the ground as if he could see through it, through the vault below, and through the white winding sheet in the dark, to the dead smile that would not die. Always when he passed out in that way, Evelyn would come out presently and sit beside him. Once, as in the past, their beautiful faces came suddenly near. Their lids drooped and their blood, and not their blood, their red lips were almost joined together. But as their eyes met, they grew wide and wild, so that the white showed in a ring all around the deep violet. Their teeth chattered, and their hands were like the hands of corpses, for fear of what was under their feet, and of what they knew but could not see. Once Evelyn found Sir Gabriel in the chapel alone, standing before the iron door that led down to the place of death, with the key to the door in his hand, but he had not put it in the lock, Evelyn drew him away, shivering, for she had also been driven, in waking dreams, to see that terrible thing again, and to find out what it had changed since it had been, since it had been laid there, and whether it had been changed, sorry. I'm going mad, said Sir Gabriel, covering his eyes with his hand as he went with her. I see it in my sleep. I see it when I am awake. It draws me to it, 
day and night, and unless I see it, I shall die. I know, answered Evelyn, I know. It is as if the threads were spun from it like a spider's, drawing us down to it. She was silent for a moment, and then she started, then she started violently and grasped his arm with, with a man's strength, and almost screamed the words she spoke. But we must not go there, she cried. We must not go. Sir Gabriel's eyes were half shut, and he was not moved by the agony of her face. I shall die unless I see it again, he said, in a quiet voice not like his own. And all that day and that evening he scarcely spoke, thinking of it, always thinking, while Evelyn Warburton Burton, quivered from head to foot with a terror she had never known. One gray winter morning, she went alone to Nurse McDonald's room in the tower and sat down beside the great leather easy chair, lying, laying her thin white hand upon the withered fingers. Nurse, she said, what was it that Sir Hugh should have told you that night before he died? It must have been an awful secret, and yet, though you asked him, I feel somehow that you know it, and that you know why he used to smile so dreadfully. The old woman's head moved slowly side to, from side to side. I can only guess. I shall never know, she answered slowly in her cracked little voice. But what do you guess? Who am I? Why did you ask who my father was? You know I am Colonel Warburton's daughter and my mother was Lady Ockram's sister, so that Gabriel and I are cousins. My father was killed in Afghanistan. What secret can there be? I do not know. I can only guess. Guess what? asked Ev Evelyn imploringly, pressing the soft withered hands as she leaned forward. But Nurse MacDonald's wrinkled lids dropped suddenly over her queer blue eyes, and her lips shook a little with her breath, as if she was asleep. Evelyn waited by the fire the Irish maid was knitting fast. Her needles... Oh, Evelyn waited by the fire the Irish maid was knitting fast. Sorry, I read that all was one sentence and it wasn't. Finally. I <laughs> For once, it's not a run-on. Yeah. Her needles clipped like three or four clocks ticking against each other, but the real clock on the wall solemnly ticked alone, checking off the seconds of the woman who was a hundred years old and had not many days left. Outside the ivy branch beat the window in the wintry blast as it had beaten against the glass a hundred years ago. Then as Evelyn sat there, she felt the waking of a horrible desire, the sickening wish to go down, down to the thing in the north vault and to open the winding sheet and see whether it had changed. And she held Nurse MacDonald's hands as if to keep herself in place and fight against the appalling attraction of the evil dead. But the old cat that kept Nurse MacDonald's feet warm lying always, lying always on the footstool got up and stretched itself and looked up into Evelyn's eyes while its back arched and its tail thickened and bristled and its ugly pink lips drew back into a devilish grin, showing its sharp teeth. Evelyn stared at it, half fascinated by its ugliness. Then the creature suddenly put one paw with all its claws spread and spat at the girl. All at once, the grinning cat was like the smiling corpse far down below. Evelyn shivered down to her small feet and covered her face with her free hand, lest Nurse MacDonald should wake and see the dead, and see the dead smile there before she could feel it. The old woman had already opened her eyes, and she touched her cat with the end of her crutch stick. Whereupon its back went, went down and its tail shrunk, and it sidled back to its place on the footstool. But its yellow eyes looked up sideways at Evelyn, and between the slits of its lids. 
What is it that you guess, nurse? Asked the young girl again. A bad thing. A wicked thing. But I dare not tell you lest it might not be true, and the very thought should blast your life. For if I guess right, he meant that you should not know, and that you two should marry and pay for his old sins with your souls. He used to tell us that we ought not marry. Yes, he told you that, perhaps. But it was as if a man put poisoned meat before a starving beast and said, Do not eat, but never raised his hand to take the meat away. And if he told you that you should not marry, it was because he had hoped you would. For of all men, living or dead, Hugh Ockram was the falsest man that ever told a cowardly lie, and the crudest that ever hurt a weak woman, and the worst that ever loved a sin. But Gabriel and I love each other, said Evelyn sadly. Nurse MacDonald's old eyes looked far away, at sights seen long ago, and that, rose in, and that rose in the gray winter air amid the mists of an ancient youth. If you love, you can die together, she said very slowly. Why should you live if it is true? I am a hundred years old. What has life given me? The beginning is fire. The end is a heap of ashes. In between the end and the beginning lies all the pain of the world. Let me sleep, since I cannot die. Then the old woman's eyes closed again, and her head sank a little lower upon her breast. So Evelyn went away and let her asleep. Left her asleep. <clears throat> With the cat asleep on the footstool, the young girl tried to forget Nurse MacDonald's words, but she could not, for she heard them over and over again in the wind and behind her on the stairs. As she grew sick with fear of the frightful, unknown evil to which her soul was bound, she felt a bodily something pressing against her, pushing her, forcing her from the other side. She felt threads that drew her mysteriously. When she shut her eyes, she saw in the chapel behind the altar the low iron door through which she must pass to go to the thing. As she lay awake at night, she drew the sheet over her face, lest she should see shadows on the wall beckoning to her. The sound of her own warm breath made whisperings in her ears while she held the mattress with her hands to keep from getting up and going to the chapel. It would have been easier if there had not been a way thither through the library by a door which was never locked. It was fairly easy to take the candle and go softly through the sleeping house. The key of the vault lay under the altar behind a stone that turned. She knew that little secret. She could go alone and see. But when she thought of it, she felt her hair rise on her head. She shivered so that the bed shook. Then the horror went through her, went through her in a cold thrill that was agony again, like a myriad of icy needles boring into her nerves. Do you want me to keep reading? Or? I can go on. Okay. okay. The old clock in Nurse McDonald's tower struck midnight. From her room, she could hear the creaking chains and the weights in their box in the corner of the staircase and the jarring of the rusty lever that lifted the hammer. She had heard it all her life. It struck eleven strokes clearly, and then came the twelfth with the dull half-stroke, th as though the hammer were too weary to go on and had fallen asleep against the bell. The old cat got up from the footstool and stretched, it, stretched itself. Nurse MacDonald opened her ancient eyes and looked slowly round the room by the dim light of the night lamp. She touched the cat with her crutch stick and it lay down upon her feet. She drank a few drops from her cup and went to sleep again. 
But downstairs, Sir Gabriel sat straight up as the clock struck, for he had dreamed a fearful dream of horror, and his heart stood still. He awoke as it stopped, at its stopping, and it beat again, furiously with his breath, like a wild thing set free. No Ockram had ever known fear waking, but sometimes it came to Sir Gabriel in his sleep. He pressed his hands to his temples as he sat up, sat, sat up. Oh my gosh. He pressed his hands to his temples as he sat up in bed. <laughs> it's really hard to say. His hands were icy cold, but his head was hot. The dream faded far, and in its place there came the master thought that racked his life. Okay, sorry. With the thought also came the sick twisting of his lips in the dark that would have been a smile. Far off, Evelyn Warburton dreamed that she dreamed that the dead smile was on her mouth and awoke. Starting with a low moan, her face in her hands, shivering. I don't know why he keeps calling her by her full name. Like, we know it. I know, it's weird. He doesn't call Gabriel Gabriel Akram. No, of course not. But Sir Gabriel struck a light and got up and began to walk up and down his great room. It was midnight and he had barely slept an hour. And in the north of Ireland, the winter nights so long. I shall go mad, he said to himself, holding his forehead. He knew that it was true. For weeks and months, the possession of the thing had grown upon him like a disease, till he could think of nothing without thinking first of that. And now all at once it outgrew his strength, and he knew that he must be its instrument or lose his mind. He knew that he must not he must do the deed he hated and feared, if he could fear anything, or that something would snap in his brain and divide him from life while he was yet alive. Okay. He took the candlestick in his hand, the old fashioned heavy candlestick that had always been used by the head of the house. He did not think of dressing, but went as he was in his silk nightclothes and his slippers and opened the door. Everything was very still in the great old house. He shut the door behind him and walked noiselessly on the carpet through the long corridor. A cool breeze blew over his shoulder and blew the flame of his candle straight out. Instinctively, he stopped and looked around, but it was all still, and the upright flame burned steadily. He walked on, and instantly a strong drop was behind him, almost extinguishing the light. It seemed to blow him on his way, ceasing whenever he turned, coming again when he went on, invisible, icy. Down the great staircase to the echoing hall he went, seeing nothing but the fl flaring flame of the candle standing away from, his, from him over the guttering wax. The cold wind blew over his shoulder and through his hair. On he passed through the open door into the library, dark with old books and carved bookcases. On he went through the door with the shelves and the imitated backs of books painted on it, which shut itself after him with a soft click. He entered the low arched passage and through the door was shut, and though the door was shut behind him and fitted tightly in its frame, still the cold breeze blew the flame forward as he walked. He was not afraid. But his face was very pale and his eyes were wide and bright seeing already in the dark air the picture of the thing beyond but in the chapel he stood still his hand on the little turn turning stone tablet in the back of the stone altar on the tablet were engraved the words yeah something <laughs> any idea i think it's 
Clavis, Sulk Curry, Tharsmorum, Dominorum, De Akram. Okay. The key to the vault of the most illustrious lords of Akram. Is the translation. Yes. Sir Gabriel paused and listened. He fancied that he heard a sound far off in the great house where all had been so still, but did it not it did not bleh, but it did not come again. Yet he waited at the last and looked at the low iron door. Beyond it, down the long descent, lay his father, uncoffined, six months dead, corrupt, terrible in his clinging shroud. The strangely preserving air of the vault could not yet have done its work completely, but on the thing's ghastly features, with their half-dried, open eyes, there would still be the frightful smile with which the man had died, the smile that haunted. As the thought crossed Sir Gabriel's mind, he felt his lips writhing, and he struck his own mouth in wrath with the back of his hand so fiercely that a drop of blood ran down his chin, and another, and more, falling back in the gloom upon the chapel pavement. But he still, bru but still his bruised lips twisted themselves. He turned the tablet by the simple secret. It needed no safer fastening for each Akram. For what? For had each Akram? Okay. Yeah, I. I okay. Yeah, it's, okay. It's weird. Okay. No, it needed no safer fastening. For had each Akram been coffined in pure gold, and had the door been open wide, there was not a man in Tyrone brave enough to go down to that place, save Gabriel Akram himself. Okay, okay. With his angel's face, his thin white hands, and his sad, unflinching eyes. He took the great old key and set it into the lock of the iron door. The heavy, rattling noise that go down the descent beyond like footsteps as if a watcher had stood behind the iron and were running away with it, within, with heavy dead feet. And though he was standing still, the cool wind was from behind him and blew the flame out of the candle against the iron panel. He turned the key. Sir Gabriel saw that his candle was short. There were new ones on the altar with long candlesticks, so he lit one and left his own burning on the floor. As he set it down on the pavement, his lips began to bleed again, and another drop fell upon the stones. He drew the iron door open and pushed it back against the chapel wall so that it should not shut of itself while he was within. In the horrible drought of the sepulchre, sepulchre? Okay. came up out of the depths in his face, foul and dark. He went in. But though the fetid air met him, yet the flame of the tall candle was blown straight from him against the wind while he walked down the easy incline with steady steps, his loose slippers slapping the pavement as he trod. That is a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. He shaded the candle with his hand, and his fingers seemed to be made of wax and blood as the light shone through them, and in spite of him, the unearthly drought forced the flame forward till it was blue over the black wind wick blue over the black wind <laughs> blue over the black wick and it seemed as if it must go out but he went straight on with shining eyes dang the downward passage was wide and he could not always see the walls by the struggling light 
but he knew when he was in the place of death by the larger, drear echo of his steps in the greater space, and by the sensation of a distant blank wall, he stood still, almost enclosing the flame of the candle in the hollow of his hand. He could see a little, for his eyes were growing used to the gloom. Shadowy forms were outlined in the dimness, where the beers of the wait, beers of the Ockrams stood crowded together, side by side, each with its straight shrouded corpse. Strangely preserved by the dry air, like the empty shell that the locust sheds in summer. Ew. Okay. And a few steps before him he saw clearly that saw clearly the dark shape of the headless Sir Vernon's iron coffin, and he knew that nearest to it lay the thing he saw. He was as brave as any of those dead men had been. They were his fathers, and he knew that sooner or later he should lie here there himself, beside Sir Hugh, slowly drying to a parchment shell. But as yet he was still alive. He closed his eyes a moment as three great drops stood on his forehead. Okay. And he's sweating, I guess. I guess so. That's just a weird way to put it. Then he looks again, and by the whiteness of the winding sheet, he knew his father's corpse, for all the others were brown with age, and moreover, the flame of the candle was blown toward it. He made four steps till he reached it, and suddenly the light burned straight and high, shedding a dazzling yellow glare upon the fire, the fire, upon the fine linen that was all white, save over the face, and where the joined hands were laid upon, laid on the breast, and at those places ugly stains had spread, darkened with outlines of the features and of the tight clasped fingers. There was a frightful stench of drying death. As Sir Gabriel looked down, something stirred behind him softly at first, then more noisily, and something fell to the stone floor with a dull thud and rolled up to his feet. He started back and saw a withered head lying almost face upward, on the pavement, grinning at him. He felt the cold sweat standing on his face, and his heart beat painfully. Okay, then. Dead head just rolled right up to you. Yeah, yeah. That's great. For the first time in all his life, that evil thing which men call fear was getting hold of him, checking his heartstrings as a cruel driver checks a quivering horse, clawing at his backbone with icy hands, lifting his hair with freezing breath, climbing up and gathering in his midriff with leaden weight. Yet he bit his lip and bent down, holding the candle in one hand to lift the shroud back from the head of the corpse with the other. Slowly he lifted it, it clove to the half-dried skin of the face, and his hand shook as if someone had struck him on the elbow, but half in fear and half in anger at himself, he pulled it so that it came away with a little ripping sound. He caught his breath as he held it, not yet throwing it back and not yet looking. The horror was working in him, and he had felt that old Vernon Ockram was standing up in his iron coffin, headless, yet watching him with the stump of his, se stump of his severed neck. While he held his breath, he felt the dead smile twisting his lips. In sudden wrath at his own misery, he tossed the death-stained linen backward and looked at last. He ground his teeth, lest he should shriek aloud. <laughs> Sorry, that's kind of funny. There it was, the thing that haunted him, that haunted Evelyn Warburton, 
that was like a blight on all that came near him. The dead face was blotched with dark stains, and the thin gray hair was matted about the discolored forehead. The sunken lids were half open, and the candlelight gleamed on something foul where the toad eyes had lived. But yet the dead thing smiled as it had smiled in life. The ghastly lips were parted and drawn wide and tight upon the wolfish teeth, cursing still and still defying hell to do its worst, defying cursing and always and forever smiling alone in the dark. <laughs> Sir Gabriel opened the sheet where the hands were. The black and withered fingers were closed upon something stained and mottled, shivering from head to foot, but fighting like a man in agony for his life. He tried to take the package from the dead man's hold, but as he pulled at it, the claw-like fingers seemed to close more tightly. When he pulled harder, the shrunken hands and arms rose from the corpse with a horrible look like look of life look of life following his motion. Then as he wrenched the sealed packet loose at last, the hands fell back into their place still folded. He set down the candle on the edge of the beard for break to break the seals from the stout paper. Kneeling on one knee to get a better light, he read what was within. Written long ago in Sir Hugh's queer hand, he was no longer afraid. He read how Sir Hugh had written it all down, that it might, perchance, be a witness of evil and of his hatred. He had written how he had loved Evelyn Warburton, his wife's sister, and how his wife had died of a broken heart, his curse upon her. He wrote how Warburton and he had fought side by side in Afghanistan, and Warburton had fallen, but Ockram had brought his comrade's wife back a full year later. And little Evelyn, her child, had been born in Ockram Hall. And he wrote how he had wearied of the mother, and she had died like, his, like her sister, with his curse on her. And how Evelyn had been brought up as his niece, and how he had trusted that his son Gabriel and his daughter, innocent and unknowing, might love and marry. And the souls of the women he had betrayed might suffer yet another anguish before eternity was out. And, last of all, he hoped that some day, when nothing could be undone, the two might find his writing and live on, as man and wife, not daring to tell the truth for their children's sake in the word, world's word. This he read, kneeling beside the corpse in the north vault, by the light of the altar candle. He had read it all, and then th he thanked God about, aloud, that he had found the secret in time. When he finally rose to his feet and looked down at the dead face, it had changed. The smile was gone from it. The jaw had fallen a little, and the tired, dead lip were, lips were relaxed. And then there was a breath behind him and close to him, not cold like that which had been, which had blown the flame of the candle as he came, but warm and human. He turned suddenly. <laughs> That's not creepy. <laughs> There she stood, all in white, with her shadowy golden hair. She had risen from her bed and had followed him noiselessly. When she found him reading, she read over his shoulder. He started violently when he saw her, for his nerves were unstrung. Then he cried out her name in, the, in that still place of death. Evelyn, my brother, <laughs> she answered softly and tenderly, putting out both hands to meet his. The end. Oh, weird. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, I figured it out. We read. 
Oh man. Yeah, no, I um when I first read that, yeah, I was like as soon as they started mentioning like how alike they were, I was like, oh they're gonna be real they're they're siblings. Well clearly, like they have all the same eyes. I like how they describe blue eyes as being weird, but violet eyes are not weird. Right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Completely normal. Yeah. Alright guys, so did you did you did you enjoy it? Out? Did you guys did you enjoy it? <laughs> did you enjoy it? It's my first question. I don't care if they figured it out. Oh man. That's all I cared about. But, I figured it out. We're good. Yeah, no, let us know if you figured it out quickly. Or if you had, or if you were blown away by that ending. I mean, maybe. Did you like it? Us reading a story to you. Yeah. Did you actually like? Did you like this format? Do you like me stumbling over words? And chuckling as I try to be dramatic with some of the things. Yeah, it's fun. Also, in my defense, I was reading at an angle, so clearly, and I've never read this before. Right. I, I'm not dissing you at all. I know. They are. They may be. We don't know. I don't know. I stumbled. Us, I stumbled. I've read it. That's true. Let us know how you feel about that. Yeah. It was fun. Um, because I didn't know the story, so it was kind of entertaining. Yeah. But we can do it again. Yeah. Let us know if you guys want, if you guys want us to do this every now and again, kind of like our cool doll our, episodes. Yeah, our doll episodes. I love the doll episodes. Yeah. I think everybody does. Yeah. No. Yeah, um, well, I think yeah. that's all we've got. I think that's all for today. Uh, sorry for the break. Um, yeah, that was my fault. Yeah, we've been... A- Rachel's been adulting successfully. <laughs> successfully, I would think, yeah. Yeah. I've more or less moved into my new house, so, yeah. Yeah. I did all the... Well, I didn't do all the adult things yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah. I still the- somehow did get a trash can, like, you know, like, for the outside. Yeah. So they'll come pick it up. That's harder than I thought. <laughs> I wouldn't think it would be. I think you just... Lots of emailing back and forth with somebody that works there. Oh, okay. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. That's... This has been Grandma Tell Me a Scary Story, where we actually told you a scary story. We did it. Finally. Yeah. yeah. Like seven months in. Yeah. Woo! So, yeah. This All has right. been Grandma Tell Me a Scary Story. Yep. I've been Jack. I've been Rachel. And we will see you guys next time. Yep. Have a good night. Bye. Breathe.